Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What happens when life transitions occur and what was working suddenly stops? What if you ask yourself, even though I am good at this work or career, Do I really enjoy doing it? These are a few of the types of questions that Lisa Malice has asked herself and her clients on her own journey from being a high school math teacher to a coach focused on time management. Lisa shares her insights on how she helps empower business owners and parents to create a life where you focus on the most important task every day, leverage your time, and work less a concept rooted in the expression, learn how to work smarter, not harder. Please enjoy my conversation with Lisa Malice. Lisa, thank you for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast uh, today. I'm looking forward to our conversation since I was last on your podcast, which seemed like yesterday, but was actually like a month and a half ago. I am super excited to be here. And I, I love when you when we spoke last, I looked down, I was like, oh my God, it's been almost an hour. It was like such an easy conversation. So I'm looking forward to continuing it here. Awesome. So I think the best uh, place to start with um, our audience is to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, some people that may have, that know you, know that you're a coach and a business owner, but talk about what kind of coaching you do, how you became a coach and how you started your business, Impactive Strategies. Absolutely. So my professional background is actually in teaching. I was a high school math teacher for years and then transitioned into administration in a high school because I was like, I'm never going to be a teacher for 30 years. So then I just became an administrator. Like, I don't know exactly what that whole thought process was, but I did that. And then um, along that path, I recognized what I like to call life lesson number one, which is just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's what you're meant to do. And I was great at my job, but I kept feeling like there was something missing, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. Then through, and I would love to think that this whole process lasted like, you know, four days, but it was multiple years as I'm figuring this out. And which led me to the second big life lesson for me was that if you're good at something, it doesn't mean that everyone else is is necessarily good at it. Like you just assume this, I'm very strong in a skill. Everyone must be, or I shouldn't say you, I, I always assumed I'm really good at organizing chaos. Like I'm really good at finding that those easy three steps when other people may see it takes 20. Like I'm really good at that. Well, everyone must be good at that. And so as I was in education, feeling unsettled, enough people, thank goodness, kept asking me to help them with similar challenges that I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
not everyone has my skill set. <laughs> like, oh, this is a good thing. And hey, I bet I could monetize it. So I did what anyone who thought they could monetize their business would do. I put up a website and just assumed that everyone would just come flocking. You build it, they will come. <laughs> right? I, exactly. I was field of dreams all over the place. I was like, I have no website experience. I'll go to GoDaddy and create some random site where the letters aren't even and the pictures don't, you know, like whatever. Um, it did not work. <laughs> In case anyone's wondering, please don't go that path. Uh, but that was how I transitioned. I was like, I have a skill set. People have paid me for it without me even asking them to. Oh, yay. Let's have a business. And then it uh, kind of, I got a little more professional from there. But that was the very early beginning. <laughs> So that, that actually hits the nail on the head that has been a major theme of how this show has developed um, over the last almost year is life transitions. It seems like everyone that, that I have on the show ends up talking about their story and it revolves around some kind of life transition. And I think that's one of the things that most of us underestimate is really the amount of life transitions that we go to or go through, I think most people think about the big ones like marriage or having kids or divorce or death, but really one of the most impactful life transitions that we've talked about on this show is changing careers and changing jobs. So talk to us a little bit about what that was like personally going through that, that life transition, because that's, that's no small feat going from math teacher to, you know, admin to, business owner. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cause as a, like there were some similarities, similarities, you know, as a math teacher, I was in control of my classroom, you know, as um, when I went into administration, I was an athletic director. So I had a lot of control over, you know, scheduling and coaches and that type of stuff. And then when I owned my own business, you know, I was like, oh, well I can, you know, create my own day. I can, I have control over all of that. Not recognizing that performing the skill is not the same as owning your own business. And, you know, so that was a huge awakening for me. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm good at this, but I have no idea how to run a business or what that means. And it was scary because you went from, you know, I'm fortunate. And you and I had had this conversation um, back a month or two ago. You know, I was fortunate. My husband carried our medical insurance. And I knew that if, if it took a couple years to ramp up, I would be okay because we had saving, you know, like all that kind of stuff, but you don't really recognize then what happens when your identity for, you know, almost 20 years was I'm in education. And then, then people would say, well, what are you now? And at the beginning I had no answer. I was like, oh, I'm just someone that people pay to tell them stuff. Like, I didn't even know that that could be almost called coaching. I was just like, yeah. I don't know. People pay me and I help them. That is, that is fascinating. Cause we did talk about this because I went through something similar given, you know, I had this 20, 25 year corporate run and making that transition into being a sole proprietor proprietor was very difficult. And one of the most difficult challenges, and I don't know if you've encountered this, but just being on my own and not necessarily having anybody to talk to, because I talked to the, you look to the left, there's a wall. I look to the right, there's a wall and there's a wall in front of me. And so th that was one of the things I kind of missed. I know like with COVID, like we all were forced home, but it took a long time to get used to like not being in a, 
quote unquote office environment and having people around. I mean, I was on the phone and interacting with people, but it was, it was, it was much different. Yeah. And so very similar. So one of the first thing I did was joined a professional organization because probably six months in, I started to recognize, like, you don't know what you don't know. And six months in, I started to recognize like there was a lot I did not know um, about, like I knew how to deliver a very specific skill set, but I didn't know how to necessarily apply that to other places. And I knew nothing about running a business. And so I was like, okay, you, you need to figure this out or you need to go back to work for someone else. And I kind of knew that was not the path I wanted. So I was like, figure it out. Uh, and to your point, <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, you know, after a while I just joke and say, yeah, I'm unemployable now. Like I want things my way. And I still know a lot of people are going to let me do that on their dime. Um, so, but it was that idea of like, if I'm stuck, who do I ask? You know, working in a school system, there was a huge support system all around, but when you're a solo, it's like, okay, now who, what, you know, who do I bounce ideas off of? And, and knowing that I wanted to bounce ideas off of people who had figured it out, not who were still with me figuring it out. Like I needed someone who could say, oh yeah, I was there. Here are things to look for. I think the other thing that, that you touched on was, you know, working with your husband. And it sounds like you had a very strong support system with him as well. Cause I know most people who know me know almost the same exact situation with, with Teresa and I, cause it, without Teresa, I don't, obviously she's the T in Tama, but there would be no Tama without her because, you know, she's, you know, with her corporate role, she's carried our medical insurance for all this time. And as we both know, that can get pretty expensive, but just having somebody there in your corner to be able to, you know, help you through those good days and bad um, is really key. And then I think what you kind of alluded to is having other people outside of your, your spouse or partner as well is just as big a factor because you can't always talk to your spouse or your partner about things that you're going through because they don't really have an idea what it's like to, you know, be solo or be that, that business owner. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I know in my case, Lou was exceptionally supportive and he would default to where he would want to fix things. Like I would be frustrated around something and he doesn't want me frustrated. And so his way of supporting me through that would be like, well, it's okay. You don't have to run a business. You can always go back and teach, which to me was like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to go do that. I want to make my business, you know, and he's trying to make it smooth the path and make it easier for me. And then I was like, okay, you've got to get help outside of here because his attempt at helping you is stressing you out. So find somewhere else. <laughs> and, th- and that's one of the reasons why I don't, the people that know Teresa know that she's in marketing. And that's one of the reasons why I don't talk to her about marketing. <laughs> exactly. So let's, let's dive in deeper into what exactly you do. Like what, what is your coaching business? What is impactive strategies? Because I think, what you do is going to resonate with a lot of people because there's a lot of parents that, that listen to this show and busy executives and, and, and people just have demanding careers and they're going to find out, you know, what Lisa's is about in time management. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm a time strategist is how I have labeled myself. I needed a label. And um, so early I went back to school and became a certified coach 
and I specialize in time management. But what that means is I help primarily service-based micro business owners figure out how they can accomplish more without actually working more and without their income reducing. A lot of my clients will say, I just want to work smarter, not harder. And they have no idea what work smarter means. And that's my job. My job is to figure out what is Paul's version of work smarter? What is Susie's version of work smarter? What is whomever else's version of work smarter? And then let's do that. And it looks different for for everyone. But my business is 100% focused on finding the tools to help people work less. Whatever that looks like for them. (laughs) So let's go right into that. So what are some of the tools that you help your clients utilize to help them work smarter, not harder? Because this was one of the points that we talked about on on your podcast um, and figuring out what those tools are. Yeah. So some of it are, honestly, are those 80s time management books that we all read as we were 80s and 90s that we all read. As we were in those corporate or, you know, structured careers, we all went to those workshops, they still put them on. Um, and so part of it does lie there. Absolutely. Um, calendar management, you know, just things like that. Um, and where I focus more, and I think it's a nice blend from my background in education and the time management coaching is figuring out where your strengths are. And building the structure off of those. So to give an example, um, if you know that you are someone who, and this seems very trite, but if you're someone who learns best by writing and processes best by writing, why do you feel you have to find the latest electronic app to keep your to-do list. Like play to your strength. If you process by writing, let's use a paper something so that you can write. Or if we're going to go the electronic route, let's use something where you can write and then store those notes versus trying to type everything when that is there's a lag in your brain. So, I mean, that's such a small, minute example, but it's that idea of what are your, let's play to your strengths and everyone needs structure. We just need different amounts. So if you're someone who's like, oh my gosh, too much structure freaks me out. And then someone tells you, okay, well, what you should do is plan your day in 15 minute increments. Like that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And I don't care what book you read. I don't care what process you're trying to follow. If you are like, I need space to go where the wind takes me, and then the solution is let's do 15-minute blocks of, like, that's not going to fly. And so that's one of those, like, I look at strengths and structure as one of those tools. So that's, <clears throat> that's interesting because I think we can become overwhelmed with technology options, and then we can become overwhelmed by just hearing what other people do. And I kind of liken that back to when people show up at my doorstep and try to give me stock tips and like, no, it doesn't really work that way. Like I'm not in the tips. Tips are for, you know, waitresses and waiters, uh, not, not when it comes to managing your portfolio. So I think with 
with going there, I have found like in working with some of the previous coaches that I've worked with over my career is they help you find that strength. They help you find that best avenue. Because I think when it comes to the word coaching, just like with wealth planner or financial planner, sometimes people associate like a negative stereotype with that. And I, I don't It's just one of the things I know in the financial service industry I face every day. I'm not sure how you do it in coaching, but I know a lot of people out there will call themselves a coach, but you know, they're not, they haven't gone through the certification process. They've not gone through like some of the extensive training that you have, which I want to talk about. But to me, my six, the, the success, success I've had in working with specific coaches, they've been able to do just what you're talking about is to help me see a better path and not overwhelm me. Right. Right. And, you know, I think like to your point about that perception around coaching, it is a unregulated field. Anyone can say I'm a coach. When I first started my business, I put right on my website, I was a coach. Then I took my first coaching class and I took that word off every page of my website because I was like, I am not a coach. I'm a teller. I'm a, you go do this and here's why. That is not coaching. And so to, to your point, like you need to know what you're looking for. Like there were times when I was out looking, I didn't want a coach. I wanted a consultant. I wanted someone who would say, do this, do this, do this, and then come back. Like, I don't want a marketing coach. I know crap about marketing. I need a marketing consultant or whatever who can come in and say, your funnel's leaky on your website. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. Like, whatever. And then tell me what to do. Um, And so on my end, it's like, okay, to your point, let's dig in and find your strengths. You may be aware of them. You may not. I have a bunch of assessments that help uncover what's your time management strength? What's your space? Because a lot of our um, time is tied up in looking for stuff. <laughs> so what's your space style? What's your disc? You know, what's your strengths finder? Like whatever is relevant, we pull that in so we know what we're working off of to build off of. So I'm glad you brought up disc because that's one of the areas where I wanted to go next is talk about the disc assessment. I know you are an expert when it when it comes to this and walk us through what DISC is for those that may not know it. And then how does that relate to time management? Yes, absolutely. So I love DISC um, for, for 20 years. I've been exposed to in general to the DISC concept and the DISC concept itself is um, what is that common domain? It's just the idea that your personality can be mapped along two axes and based on that, you'll fall into one of four quadrants as I'm getting all geeky on it now. But those, wherever you fall, will then help you. Well, when you know that, it helps you understand how you communicate, the things that you prioritize, um, and how you work. So for those, so and without getting too, too deep into DISC, out of the four quadrants, they're D, I, S, and C. And so I happen to be a C, which is our lower left quadrant, which means that I tend to be cautious and reflective and questioning and skeptical. How, With, how true, like when you take one of these assessments, because I know DISC is one of probably many that you can take as far as these personality profiles go. How, how accurate 
do they get? Like <laughs> so accurate. So again, without boring people who are not as C like I am, like love all the data. Um, the publisher that I use is Wiley. So I use the Everything Does Products. And they will rank or like they go through this um, how to know the test is good is like how accurate is it and how um, often like if you retest, how close are those retest scores? And so they score up and I can't remember the exact number, but up upper 90 percentile on um, how accurate is it? And when you retest, how often does it retest in the same place? The way that I use it, if we take it out of that data-driven spot and just look at when I do uh, work with individual clients or when I work with individual clients and their teams, it's people reading their 23-page report going, oh, wow, that's me. Oh, my God, look, that's you. Oh, my gosh, look, that's me. Oh, yeah, like hours of that. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty darn accurate. I know for me, spot on. So once once you figure that out, then how how can you take that and to, to what you've talked about thus far is build off of your strengths. Cause I'm sure that when some of the outputs are that are telling you, this is what you're good at or how you should communicate with people or how you prioritize, how do you translate that back into, okay, time management? How do I bridge those two together? Yeah. So, um, and I'll use myself as an example. So, um, one of the pieces on this are like your motivators and your stressors. So one of my stressors is networking with people, talking to strangers, huge stressor for me. If I know that, then I know that any task I have on my to-do list that is going to require me to talk to a stranger is going to be hard. So therefore, I need to figure out what support do I need to be able to seamlessly get into that task and accomplish it and then get back out. And again, that's a very base example, but we can waste so much time procrastinating the hard stuff. And when we can figure out ahead of time, oh, wait a minute, this is the hard stuff and this is why, then we can build the structure we need to get into it and get out. So in my own example, I do not like networking. Every time that it comes up on my calendar and I know it's something I have to do, I could spend the whole day obsessing over what am I going to wear? Who am I going to talk to when I get there? Why do I have to go? All right, let's memorize my 32nd. Let's start with it, like all this stuff and get nothing done the whole day. And instead I know, okay, look, this task is hard. Who's going to be there that, you know, arrange whatever, no card in the no card in the purse with two starter questions on one side and your 30 second elevator speech on the other look at it in the parking lot before you go in the door and for people who are on the opposite side of the disc scale for people who are eyes like they're listening to this right now and they're thinking oh my god people do that because they're so comfortable in that situation yet those people will often struggle to put the pieces together between the idea and the implementation because they have 80 ideas before breakfast as a whole and they're very excited about them. And once the excitement starts to wear and it's not new anymore, it's harder for them to push it to completion. Well, when you know that about yourself, then you figure out, okay, how do I figure out, how do I handle the messy middle? Is it hire someone 
I have the idea, someone else moves it to implementation. Is it as soon as I have an idea, I pull in someone else to help me lay out a very detailed project plan. So I'm only looking at one 15 minute step at a time versus the whole thing. Is it bring in um, lots of rewards, whatever, like whatever they may look like, you know, a piece of chocolate, a trip to Hawaii, anything in the middle, like whatever it may be. But when you know, here is a place that I'm strong and here's a place as a challenge, you can build in the systems you need to around it. And DISC will help you see that. So when going back to the playing off of your, your strengths, when you first start working with somebody, is there, are you using the DISC assessment to help identify what their strengths are and pull them out? Or are there other avenues you go through to help somebody identify like what their strengths are? Because I know with some people, they may have, you know, self-doubt or, you know, imposter syndrome, which I talked to Melody um, Wilding about in, in a previous podcast. Um, she wrote the book, Trust Yourself. And, and she talked a lot about this honor roll hangover and people just having self-doubt. So what do people, how do people really find their strengths or how do you help people find their strengths? So a lot of what I do is geared um, towards the time management portion of it. So like I use a um, time transformation assessment, which will show us areas in time management. Again, going back. Can to you say that one more time? Yep. What? Time transformation assessment. And so I'll use that. And then people will, will be like, oh, look, prioritizing a strength for you. Um, planning, not a strength. Okay, let's look at that. So like, it'll be very time management focused. I also use a um, TSSI, which is a time space style inventory, which will show is your strength. Are you someone who likes to hop around to different activities or do you like to hyper-focus? Because once we know that, then we can build the environment that'll support whatever that is. Are you in everything out or nothing out? You know, so I have a client who she is everything out in her office, like everything, but in her house, it's nothing out. And then you build off of that. So those, um, I'm trying to think. So then it depends. Like I have a um, really great assessment for helping you figure out what things you should delegate. Because some, some of the things are easy. Like we know I hate this task and I don't do it very well. Like I need to delegate this. Like those are the low hanging fruit. We know that. But then once you move up, there's this whole area of tasks that you're good at, but that you don't love that are hard to delegate because you know that you're good at them. And that's your burnout zone. And so being able to identify, oh, wait a minute. You know, for me, I'm good at proofreading. I hate to proofread. I have to delegate out proofreading. I'm very detail oriented, but it's, I, I find no joy in looking for, you know, if my comm is in the right spot ever. So that goes somewhere else. And so like, those are the types of things, but to your point of um, like imposter syndrome or things like that, I don't do a lot of coaching in those areas. Like when that stuff pops up, I usually will, I go an inch deep. And then I was like, oh yeah, not my strength. And then I have a great referral um, for people who are struggling in those types of areas. I usually stay right in the lane of time management. When, when a potential client shows up at your doorstep, are they 
do you see them typically on the verge of burnout already? Is that one of the reasons why they finally pick up the phone and, and call you? Yeah. Um, very few people come to me because things are going well and they want them to be better. Um, most of almost all of my clients have come. They used to be really good in time management. In fact, they used to probably brag about how well organized they were. And then something happened and the uh, structure, the strategies, the whatever their system was, didn't work anymore because of whatever it was that happened. So, you know, it could be they had triplets and everything they had with one kid was great. But then when all of a sudden there were four kids, those systems didn't work anymore. Or they started a new business or their business all of a sudden grew or they're caring for an aging parent. Or like my favorite is people who, um, have a business that's going great and they decide to get on a board and then they decide to get on another board and then they decide to get on a third board and then they add a new product stream and then they add two employees and then COVID hits. I was like, oh yeah, you wait, your time management system isn't working anymore. I don't know why that could ever happen. <laughs> Those all sound like life transitions. <laughs> right? And so I think a good way to look at it is typically that's when clients will seek me out. So they'll hear me speak on a podcast or they'll hear me speak, um, you know, when we're live <laughs> doing stuff or someone will be like, oh yeah, Lisa helped me with blah, blah, blah. Or they'll see something on YouTube or whatever. And then they're like, oh yeah, I know that. I know that. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, a couple of months later, they're like, oh man, I, cause my clients will say, and they'll hear themselves say, as soon as things slow down, I can get that. And when you own your own business, it never you don't want things to slow down. You want to figure out how to handle the speed. So how, how long do you typically work with one of your clients? Is it, you, is there a time constraint? Like do you try to keep people like to, I don't know, several months or is it ongoing indefinite? Like how do, how do you work with people in that you know, time capacity? The answer is yes. <laughs> so all of that. Um, my goal is always to work myself out of a job until the situation changes again. So my job is to work with, when I'm working individually with a client, my job is to figure out what's the system and structure that they need to handle what they have. So they have a toolbox and they can get to a place where they theoretically would not need me any longer until their next life transition or business influx or whatever happens and then figure out, okay, what do we need to tweak so that you can do that and move forward? That is not to say that I don't have clients. I'm in my eighth year of business now. I have had clients since I started. Um, what they have chosen is that I am part of their support system to keep them on track. Um, so it varies. Typically, when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a client, typically we start with a four-month piece to really dig in and see, okay, what is the bottleneck? And once we uncover that first bottleneck, there's usually some hidden underneath of it. Okay. <laughs> and that, and in four months, we have a pretty good feel for, okay, here's the lay of the land. Now, where do we want to go from here? So in that example, like how often are you meeting with, with that type of person? So, and again, it'll vary by 
goals, what we see going on, et cetera. But I would say my most common program is up to two hours a month for four months. Like that's usually where I will start out with clients. And then in that way we do up to two hours because for some people, they want a two hour chunk and they want to be able to work things on their own the rest of the month. Others are like, can we just go 30 minutes? Like my attention span doesn't go over 30. So can we just go 30 minutes every week or whatever the combo may be? So I know we, we mentioned this early on in our conversation to this whole concept or idea of work smarter, not harder is, is one of the outcomes of what you, you see with working with, with your clients that they are working less hours or they're working the same amount of hours, but they're, and this is, this is a two-part question. So one is one outcome, are they working less hours or two, are they working the same amount of hours, but they're, they're taking hours that they gain from somewhere else and putting it to something they find more interesting or that they can use to, you know, whether they're a parent, help their kids more, be around their kids more, or if they're a business owner, you focus on something that needed their attention that they could never get to? Yes. The answer is yes to both of those. <laughs> so it will depend on the individual. I always feel like a, a lot of times we're like, well, it depends, um, but it does. it does. So like some people will come in and say, look, I'm working 60 hours a week. There are, here's this laundry list of things I'm not getting to personal and business wise. I want to be able to move it to 40 and I want to get all these things done. Or some people will say, I love my job. I love everything about my business when I started it, but I've lost the joy. I don't know why. I want to get the joy back. And at first, the first person said that to me, I was like, I can't help you do that. That is not what I do. And then I was like, wait, take not a the joy business. Yeah. I was like, I can't do that. And then I was like, take a breath and let's dig a little deeper. And what we found out was that the things that she used to do, she didn't have time to do anymore because she's doing all this other stuff. And then it's like, okay, well, let's dial it back. So to your point, for some people, they reduce the hours they work. For others, they work the same amount of hours, but they're doing more things that they love. Um, you know, and I, one of my goals is always when we start is to say, in 90 days, what does success look like for you? And let's keep that in mind. And then about 45 days in, we look at that 90 day goal again. And now that we have, like, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so now that we have way more knowledge, we can be like, realistic or not realistic? Okay, now where do we go from here? So trying to think where I want to phrase this next question then. So does this go back to the concept of coaching versus consulting then? Because to me, what you just described is what I consider coaching versus the consulting where you're not just telling somebody do X, Y, and Z. There's a process. And to your point, and I talk, I tell people this all the time, no, everybody's different. Everybody's financial plan is different. No one person is the same. And, and I try to reiterate that over and over with people because I want people to run their own race. I want people to stop looking at Facebook and comparing themselves to everybody else out there. So did I, did I hit that right? That coaching versus consulting? Yes. In, in I the think role so. That you so I, yeah. So I consider myself kind of a hybrid. Um, I definitely do not do 100% pure coaching. Um, I also don't just do pure consulting. Um, like when people will say, like if I come in and work with a group um, of employees, so the business owner and their employees, um, they'll come in and say, can you train us? And, I, and I'll be like, I can come in and facilitate 
because facilitation is a conversation. Training is, in my mind, training is, you know, the, um, what is that, the prophet on the mount, like the, like I'm just telling you how it is. So I find that I, I do best and the clients that respond best to me appreciate that hybrid style where sometimes I can just say, look, Paul, here's the deal. You got four kids at home. Is it realistic to think that X, Y, Z can happen in the middle of the summer? Whereas like that conversation probably happens a little differently if it's pure coaching versus if it's pure consulting. Like, so I'm kind of hanging out in the middle. Okay. And actually I had two more questions for you. And, and one of them was on, on parenting. Do you, do you find yourself working with a lot of primarily you work with business owners, but business owners who are parents? And if so, like, how does that affect the situation? Way differently this past year than it had any other time previously. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I think that on my end, I maybe got a little bit lazy. Um, I kind of got to that whole, oh yeah, whatever. Like in my head, it was kind of like, yeah, take your kids and stick them in the closet and close the door. You know, you'll be fine. Um, and didn't really troubleshoot deep with people pre-pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit where, you know, your people were running a business and virtual schooling their kids and let's, I mean, we're not even going to list the laundry. We've all lived through the last 14 months. We don't have to list. Yeah, we don't really need to relive it. <laughs> yeah. We know what that all was. It was no longer as easy as saying, oh yeah, throw a DVD in and get an extra hour. You know what I mean? And so it was digging deeper into what, what do you need minimally? What do they need minimally? And then what's our bar over minimum, but let's not, what was before is not now unless adjust accordingly. So did you find like pre COVID and working with clients that were parents, was it, were they more, I don't know, overwhelmed or burned out? Like, I'm not trying to single out parents. I, I am, but I'm not because I know a lot of parents listen to this and a lot of parents are looking for ways to help be more present with their kids, but also react to the, you know, constant on-demand um, career that they're in. And that's, and personally, that's one thing I struggled with before I started Tama. It's one thing I still struggle with being a business owner and, and whether I'm, you know, in corporate or, or, you know, owning my own business, I, I still believe that a lot of people, a lot of parents are still trying to figure this out and providing any kind of insights along those lines to help them is, is a win for all of us. Yeah. So I don't know that it was more or less. I think the stress and overwhelm was different. I think, you know, a year and a half ago, a lot of that stress and overwhelm came from picking a kid up and taking them somewhere and picking another kid up and taking them somewhere and, and needing to be at this event while they had this event. And how were you going to juggle needing to be in two places at the same time? And then the last, you know, a little over a year, I feel like that stress and overwhelm came from we're all in the same, <laughs> we're all in the same place, literally. <laughs> and I still have responsibilities for my business, for my job, for whatever. And I still have responsibilities for them, but those are way more in my face. And so I think it was a different overwhelm and a different stress, but to both my biggest advice is boundaries whatever they look like for you, 
and whatever you need to do to hold them true. You know, so specifically, um, I have a client who runs a um, therapy business um, and she has 40 employees and a five and a six-year-old who she was homeschooling. That is, that is, that is some serious business. <laughs> right. And so they went telehealth, Yep. but she's still responsible for 40 employees and a five and a six-year-old virtual schooling. And so we looked at, okay, minimally, what do you need to do with your business to keep all the parts moving forward? How long would that take? And so in her case, she's like, look, if I could get four uninterrupted hours, somewhere between 6 a.m. and like 8 p.m., I could, I could get everything I needed to get done. And we had been working for a while, so she had already delegated out a lot of pieces. And so we're like, okay, how do we figure out those four hours? Where do they come in? What time of day do we need them? And then what do we do with those kids? Because again, we can't put the kids in the closet. What do we do with them? Tempting, but no. Right? It's like <laughs> someone might notice and call. So what do we do? And then we walked through, okay, here's what we can do for to get you those four hours. And so she actually had two two-hour blocks that she was able to figure something out. And so I think it's for her, she prioritized. And she's like, my kid's education is equally important to my business. Cause she's like, I got 40 people. I'm, you know, I'm paying. I can't just say I'm all in here and whatever happens here or vice versa. I mean, so I think for me, when I'm working with clients, the key is what are your boundaries? And then how do you hold true to those, whatever they may look like, and then let it go. After that, let it go. Because like, to your point of being present, if you're saying, okay, it is, I am going to be at that soccer game. I am commit to being at that soccer game. And then you're in the corner on your phone, answering emails. You're not at the soccer game. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, we'll, we'll put a pen in that one because I think that's a whole nother topic for a no, whole nother podcast is the ability to let, let things go. So let it go. One of the last questions I want to come back and ask is, to talk about your coaching um, credentials, you had mentioned that you've gone through coaching certification. Can you walk us through what that means and what that is? Because I know recently I've had a few guests on that are health coaches. And the first thing you think about, well, that's just food and nutrition. And there's a lot more to it than that. And so they, they did, a, I think, a great job of walking me through like what a health coach really means and like all these other credentials that they had to go get you know, to be that. So can you walk us through like what this, the, the health or the, the coaching credentials that you went through are? Yes, absolutely. So when I first um, recognized that what I was doing was not coaching um, based on, I had hired a um, business coach and she's like, okay, I think you would be great. Go here. So I went to a program that was actually for professional organizers. Um, because in the professional organizing field, usually you think of people organizing closets and organizing, you know, garages. And I did try that for like six months. And I was like, this is so not <laughs> my path at all. Um, but there's also the other side of that field, which is productivity and time management. And so I went through and now I can't even tell you how many hours and all of that, because this was back when I first started my business, so like 2013-ish. And so I was, I went through and it took about two years 
to go through the coursework. And it was all sorts of things. It was like how to actually coach, like what are the coaching philosophies and how do you get yourself away from telling them the answer (laughs) or trying to cleverly lead them to the answer? (laughs) Like there was those things. Um, But then there were also things like um, ADD and coexisting conditions. And, you know, and so like that course I found, find very helpful now because I will recognize when I'm in over my head, because there is a fine line between at times a coach and a therapist and knowing when I need to refer to a therapist or to a coach who has a different background than I do is, is essential. So there were those types of things. And then there were specifically time management, you know, productivity pieces. And then from there, um, so I was certified through this program. And then from there, um, I went and then became certified through the International Coach Federation because the program was somewhat small, but ICF is a fairly large governing body. And so then I just went and did a couple extra courses there. And then I continually will pick up different certification courses like through DISC or, um, you know, wherever it's relevant. Uh, like I did for a while, I did coaching high school kids with ADD. Um, you know, it's a very niche course, yeah. but I do have that certification. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge for sure. So my, my last closing question that I ask all my guests, and I'm going to put a different spin on it for you is what is the best thing you, that, that you love, love about being a parent? And I didn't even ask you this. I didn't even know if you have kids or not. <laughs> So I do, I have three stepdaughters. Um, they're all, and then four grandchildren. Um, and the, so our grand, my grandchildren are young. Um, they're five and under, and then the kids are in their early thirties. So you get to answer this two different ways. You could talk about the best thing about being a stepmom, or you could be talk about the best thing about being a grandma. So I'll <laughs> leave it up to you. Well, and what I will tell you is I think the answer for all of those and the answer that if you were to say what's the best thing about being a coach, I would say it all is the same thing for me. It's seeing that moment when the light bulb clicks on. And so obviously that looks different from, you know, when I when you're looking at the grandkids to you're looking at your kids to you're looking at your clients. But it's seeing, it's not seeing the struggle. Like some, one time I phrased it that way. I was like, I love seeing the struggle. And I was like, that's not what I mean. <laughs> like, I love seeing the moment that it changes, you know? So with um, our adult kids, it's when we're having a conversation about something that's happening at work. And like recently one was renegotiating her contract. And so I was just digging in on, well, why do you want this? And what do you want? And all of a sudden it was like that light bulb clicked on of, I'm worth more. And I was like, yes, you are. Darn it. (laughs) You know, it's that, you know, it's when you're looking at the little kids, it's, you know, when we're out looking at a turtle and the turtle moves and they realize it's not a rock, like there's that light bulb piece, you know, and with my clients, it's looking at and recognizing that because they can do what they can do, they can help more. Like my job is to help people help more people. And it's when they recognize that if I say no to this, it makes me means I can say yes to 20 more people and then I can help more. It's that light bulb moment. I love asking all everyone this question because the, the degree or variation of answers is tremendous. And 
I think that is an excellent way to wrap up our conversation. And I'm sure that we're going to have many more, but one of the one, one, actually, let me put a caveat on that. How do people find you, Lisa, if they, if they want to, what's the best place for people to find you at? So the best place is just to hop on the website, impactivestrategies.com. And then from there, there's, you know, all my stuff, my email, our social stuff, all of that. Okay. I'll make sure that we put a link into the show notes and then also your 25th our podcast. We'll put a link in into that yes. as well. So thank you, Lisa. I cannot thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast. And uh, like I mentioned, we'll look forward to many more conversations to come. Thank you so much. It was a joy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast. Please visit tamacapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.